Sometimes we feel paralyzed by fear and body hatred. In order to feel better about ourselves and live the life we really want to manifest, we have to own up to our difficult feelings and self-sabotaging thoughts and behaviors. We all enter this world naked, and now it's time to feel good naked, no matter what your body size or your life circumstances. This is Feel Good Naked Radio, and your host is Lar Redmond. On this program, Lar will help you become more embodied, self-empowered, and mindful to take charge of whom you really are and to live the life you deserve to live. Now, here's your host, Laura Redmond. Hello and welcome back to Feel Good Naked Radio. I am your host, Laura Redmond, and today we're unpacking creativity, how to live a creative life, what that really means and what that looks like. Um, I love the topic around this time of year. I think this time of year personally is exhausting and demanding. And just as we get into that kind of holiday season, I'm reminded there's even more coming at us from all angles. So a really good time of the year to go within, take some time for yourself, tell everybody no, and (laughs) figure out what you're needing at this moment in your journey. I wanted to tell you a little bit about my guest today, Sam Yamauchi. Uh, Her work was shown to me, her artwork, her paintings were shown to me during such a difficult time in my life. It would have been about 2013 and 14, where I was going through a tsunami in my own journey. And a client of mine showed me her work, her paintings, and they really did give me hope. I felt like, oh my gosh, that is exactly what I'm feeling. Sam infuses words in her work as well as imagery, sometimes just the imagery. But it really was a powerful moment for me in finding my own way into my awesome life today and knowing and believing that I too could be the architect of my own healing. So I want to tell you a little bit about Sam. Sam grew up with an artist mother and brother. She was always encouraged to make things and to draw, but she only painted by number. She took sculpture classes in high school and secretly wanted to be a painter. Instead, Sam became an elementary school teacher, where for 30 years, the influence of the art and stories from all the children's picture books was absorbed deep in her subconscious, ultimately waiting for the right time to emerge. In 2013, after visiting the studio of artist Jesse Reno, Sam decided it was time to start painting. She has been painting almost every day since then, creating paintings that combine playfulness and honesty. Sam establishes a series of gestures, momentary thoughts and feelings that meet on a single surface and then accumulate into much more. Welcome to the show, Sam. Hi. Thanks. Hi. I realized, I read, when I read that, I realized I must have been shown your work. It must have been 2013 or 2014. And I didn't realize what a newbie you were in the painting world when I saw your work. I had assumed that you had been painting your entire life, which perhaps you were on the inside of your psyche and subconscious. But take us all through your journey from being a teacher to a painter as well as an art teacher today. But just give us a little more information about how this emerged in you. 
Yeah, okay. Um, well, like I said, I've always been making things and drawing and, you know, always encouraged to make art. But I think that because my brother was a painter, um, it was kind of like he was the painter and the family, you know. And my mother did um, Japanese folk craft art and egg art. And so that, you know, that was sort of taken care of. Um, And then I just always kind of, I think I always felt like I couldn't be a painter because even though I love those little painting by number kits, I think there was something very, like it kind of taught me a lesson, like there was a way that you needed to paint a picture to make it look like something. So um, I was just sort of afraid of the process forever. Um, But I took a lot of, like, I took sculpture classes and I did, like, secret drawing and writing and stuff. Um, And then uh, in 2000 and around 2000, I started um, making glass mosaics. And then a year later, I just realized I needed to start showing them. So I started showing them and selling them. And um, I did that for 14 years before I started painting. And I think through, um, through the glass mosaics, I really learned a lot about composition and color because, you know, you couldn't blend the colors. They had to be like side by side. I had to see how to make things um, go well together. And also because mosaic glass is so static it was really a challenge to like find that kind of a flow with that material so both of those things really went into my paintings um and then like I was like you said about the children's books um I just you know digested hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of children's books over 30 years and um was just always drawn to like the artistry and the narratives and stuff uh, and then in, um, I still always, well, the whole time that I was doing the glass mosaics, I really wanted to paint, but I was just really afraid of painting, but it was like I could paint with the colored glass. So I was doing that. And the process I was using in making mosaics is very similar to the process I use actually in painting. And so when I went to um, Jesse Reno's studio during Portland Open Studios, I saw... I just kind of saw what he did, which was very intuitive, and um, his is really his art is real steeped in mythology and archaeology and anthropology, and it's kind of dark. But I was like, oh, this, you know, I, I didn't know you could paint like this. I didn't know you could just like paint your stories or you know paint what it is that interests you. I always kind of thought that there was like a formula. Um, then you had to follow this formula, and since I didn't know what the formula was, then I was sort of not going to be able to do that painting. But then I just, I seriously, I walked out of that studio, and I was like, oh, I got to paint. And I just went home, and I just, like, got paints, and I just started painting. And um, I started out by making abstracts and just kind of playing with the paint. And then um, I took a class from him, and I saw how he'd, kind of finds his imagery in the paintings and I just started playing around with that and my own style just sort of came, started emerging and, you know, um, little playful, magical, kind of fun, colorful, bright things. And then as, just as, as I've, um, evolved as a painter, you know, my, um, I can see more of the depth in the stories and the characters and, 
So I just keep adding little, you know, I've been take I've taken a few classes to just sort of add to my skill and I really just I just keep painting and painting and painting and letting it take whatever direction it wants to take. I want to go back to a few things you just said because they're really uh-huh. important takeaways for people listening. Uh-huh. And the first was the comparative mindset. And you mentioned your brother and your mother. And then uh-huh. as that young soul thinking, oh, my gosh, this is the way you paint. I'm not a painter. They paint. They're the painters. Right. And it's interesting because yeah. I, I grew up with a painting father who's remarkable. And now one of my sisters is a painter. And I remember also as a very creative being having a creative household, thank God, but also internally judging myself as I would compare my own creative calling to theirs. And so Mm -hmm. I just want to go back to that because I think it's what does, and you probably saw this a lot in the elementary school system where one little student thinks that they're not as good as someone else because that other person gets such great feedback about whatever they did. And so all of a sudden you silence that journey within to see what it is you're dying to create. So when you think about that comparative younger person that you were and then being in the school system and seeing it, I'm sure, in your classrooms, how do you work with that inner comparative mindset in your world today? You know, it still comes up. There's always this inner critic. And actually, it's really funny that you mention it now because I just, like, in the last 72 hours had this huge shift about, like, my inner critic and how to work with that in a different way. Um, So what I find, I'm pretty good at not listening to it because I really approach my stuff as... um, Like, I don't know what's going to happen when I sit down or I go into my studio to paint. You know, I just start, like, working with the materials. And sometimes things happen that are just really awesome, and sometimes nothing happens, and I get frustrated, you know. But um, I'm kind of learning more and more and more each time that I go into my studio that it's really about – it's not really about the end result. It It really honestly is about the process. You know, that's really where everything that I'm learning is coming from. And the end of the painting, you know, is like a special treat. It's like, oh, I got to do all this great stuff on the way to having this cool painting. And um, I realized that, you know, even when I think a painting is done, it might not be. Like two months later, I might be like, oh, that's not totally not done. It needs way more. But it was done for that moment. So um, I'm always like conscious that I have this critical side that's looking at my stuff and um, but what I'm realizing more and more is that critical side doesn't have to critical doesn't have to have a um, negative connotation necessarily like this inner critic or this inner muse or whoever this is that talks to me like she really wants me to feel good about my art and she has things to tell me and I just need to like listen to what she's really saying rather than like, you know, getting defensive. Oh, I don't know how to do this. I can't paint this stupid. I don't know what I'm doing. So just as kind of a shift in mindset. Well, and I think that's helpful too, to remember everyone out there that we all as creatives have that inner critic who will show up. The key is to silence him or her so that you can keep working with the process. And that's another important part that you just said is 
you do the you go into your studio so that means creating a place where your creativity is going to be welcomed even if it's not a good day to feel your inner critic screaming at you, you still go into that space and you begin the process, or as I call it, the practice. And with that, Mm -hmm. that daily commitment does end up allowing the muse to eventually come through. And and some people go through dry spells that last for years. So it's it's not to be... um, feared if you may be in one of those places listening right now thinking I have no juice I am flat the flatness is part of honoring the lifetime of creativity which ebbs and flows which comes and goes but you must learn to hear the voices that are within silence the ones that are destructive um, or let them tell you what they're supposed to tell you and then move back into your own core truth Find a place to do your creativity and commit to that process or practice every single day. Yeah, I have an everyday practice. I love it. It's like I can't wait. I wake up in the morning thinking about, you know, when I'm going to get into my studio. Um, Speaking of like that process of (laughs) dealing with your critic, I think that part of, well, teaching for all those years, teaching little kids really helped me also to see that you know, how learning is a process, living is a process, and, like, all the mistakes that we make. Like, I encouraged kids, it's okay to make mistakes. You know, that's how you're going to get better, you know. This is how we learn things. So I think that was really helpful in my development as an artist, too, to, to realize, you know, I'm just like a kid. I'm going to make tons of mistakes, and it's okay. You know, that's why we're here to make these mistakes and move on and learn something. Absolutely. And and that leads me to your comment about intuition, because you have been referred to as an intuitive painter. And mm-hmm. I really believe our intuition is that great guide that we all have, but whether or not we strengthen it or encourage it is the difference between someone who is guided by their intuition and someone who's not sure what their intuition is trying to tell them. So mm-hmm. what, is, what does it mean to you when you're referred to as an intuitive painter? Um, you know, well, I always think that it means that I um, approach the work that I'm doing without any um, predetermined ideas of what I'm going to be doing or how it's going to come out. And so I'm really just kind of open to the materials and the kind of the spirit in the board, the spirit in the moment, and whatever is happening is what's happening and I just let that happen and it depends, you know, it kind of, it goes from there. Sometimes, like I said, it turns into something really cool and sometimes it's just the process itself. Um, And I'm pretty good at just um, getting into that space of just being able to just be there with my stuff and do what I'm doing and not worry about what's going on. I think it helped that I didn't have any formal art training. Actually, you know, because I don't have to, I don't feel like I have to do something a certain way. Well, that's such a good point, too, because many of the writers or actors that I admire, they're the ones that often will say, I never had an acting class. I never took a writing class. And I think the value in that is that sometimes it is that particular teacher who may be giving you direction that is not your intuitive direction. And so then all of a sudden you're back up in that mental monkey mind of thinking, I'm not doing it right. I'm not doing it the way I should do it if I wanted to do it with success holding my hand. So 
talk more about that because I do think sometimes it's the classes, the teachers that throw us off the intuitive course. Yeah, I think you have to be really careful. I mean, I try to be really careful about the classes that I take. Um, I had an experience when I first started, well, actually before I actually started painting, but when I was starting to think of it, I was kind of moving towards that, and I took um, some figure drawing classes. And I had one teacher that was very, um, he was all about letting you, letting you experience what it's like to draw, you know, like what are you seeing and how are you drawing? And if you see this foot really huge, make it really big, you know, don't worry about it. It's like, it's a drawing, it's not a photograph, you know. But I learned a lot about um, really looking through that class. And at the same time, I was taking another figure drawing class and this teacher was very like, regimented. It was like everything had to be like exactly lined out the size, you know, you had to draw these little lines to see how big the head was and how many parts it would be down. And he was like so regimented. And it was just really interesting to take both the classes at the same time. Um, (laughs) What I realize now is because I do a lot of gestural drawing, painting in my paintings, that really what gives my painting so much charm is that I'm not that concerned about how they're actually proportioned in things. It's like, you know, if the hand looks really big to me, it's supposed to be really big, and I just put it there. Um, and if I was doing, like, you know, more formal painting, figure painting, I would, like, pay attention to that. It's interesting, because really what I keep feeling that you're talking about is mindfulness. Um, uh-huh. and just being with the piece, being with the hands, whether they're large or not. In fact, one of the paintings that I put on my Instagram to talk about this opportunity to speak with you today is the woman that has very large hands that are caressing her sternum and her belly, sort of her heart chakra area. And that was the sort of imagery that came to me through your work early on that gave me this faith and hope to carry on little soldier. You know, I just felt this, Uh let my heart guide me, let my heart guide me. And so that big hand right around that heart chakra is perfection. (laughs) It's it's outer. Yeah. I'm so happy to hear that you were touched that way by my art. You know, I really was. And at that time I was grasping for anything that just gave me direction and vision Mm -hmm. for self And as I was forming the architect of my own healing, being the architect of my own healing and creating that building and what that would look like metaphorically, your artwork was on the walls of that space for me because it just showed me that, oh, no, you can do this. There's a way through it. So a lot of your work, what I find so interesting is it is playful. You can feel the influence of the children's books that you mentioned. But I also find it very existential and Mm -hmm. spiritual in nature. And I'd love for you to talk a little bit about where that comes from within yourself. Well, um, first of all, I think that, you know, the children's books and children are so incredibly soulful. It's like you can't escape that. Um, But also, I think that the soul really speaks through imagery and pictures. You know, like our dreams have so much meaning. The things that we doodle and draw and the images that we're drawn to, that they they have something to say to you. I truly believe that, you know, everything is alive with spirit and that everything is speaking to me in some way if I listen. Um, So when I am painting, I feel like I'm connecting with the spirit of those 
of the board right there and that there's something in there. There's an image that wants to be seen either just for me or something that I'm supposed to share with the world. So I'll get, you know, my paintings will go through lots of um, incarnations, like it'll morph from imagery to image and something will come out might be like an animal or a person or something, and it just kind of comes out to say hello, and then it goes away, and something else will come out. Um, so I, I, I'm really happy when I hear that people can sense that, the deepness in my paintings, because I think, I mean, they are. They're really deep. To me, they're like coming from a really soulful, true, honest place. So the fact that, you know, and if they have something to say, if it's an image that wants to be seen and wants to be shared at the fi- in the final version, then there's a reason that it's there and it has something to say to somebody and it's going to touch somebody in some way and get the message that that person needs to hear at that time across. And I just think that's really important, like, to be able to communicate like that and to show that depth of spirit because that's, you know, that's who we are. We're like this really deep, creative, soulful experience. What is the story of your spiritual life? What are your spiritual practices? And when did you first become aware of your spiritual self? Um, I think in um, around the year 2000, right around the time, everything kind of happened around 2000. Um, I was introduced to Reiki, uh, which is like a universal love energy, hands-on healing. And so I studied with, uh, some teachers for several years and that was when it was through that work that I realized oh, I need to like start showing my mosaics because there's a reason that I'm making these and the mosaics were very like the color was really important I felt like the color carried the vibrant um, the vibrations of like this healing energy so I did that for I worked with them for several years while I was doing that and then they moved away and I started feeling like I wanted to find another teacher um, I started working with a shamanic teacher, and I trained with her for uh, did an apprenticeship with her, and I did that for a while in journey circles and shamanic healing, and that kind of brought me into this, you know, the aliveness, you know, made me realize this aliveness in everything. And then just recently, um, last spring, I had this pretty um, deep. Well, I I would say that in 2013, 2014, right around there, I was kind of going through this year-long awakening with a lot of, like, difficulty and challenges and lessons. And um, I had my first sort of pretty abiding awakening during that time. And that was when I started painting. It was like, oh, now it's time to start painting. And then last spring, I had an experience of... um, kind of the truth, you know, of who I am. It's really stayed with me and has been, I've been processing for several months. So at this point, I would say that my spiritual practice is really um, just listening. It's really about listening and seeing. And my studio work is like, just ties into that because it's all about listening and looking and seeing what's there that you can't really see with your regular eyes. Um, So yeah, I mean, it took me a, why I was a seeker for a long time and then I started making this transition to like, oh, I understand that. It's not like something special you do. You can't compartmentalize your spirituality. You know, it's like this is how you live. This is who you are. And I realize more and more all the time as it gets deeper and deeper who I am, what the truth of 
my reality is and how I fit into the huge scheme, what the huge scheme is, all that stuff, you know, it's constant exploration and inquiry. Well, and you make me realize that going back to the idea of a teacher, you know, if you're a writer, maybe a writing class is not the best thing for your ego or your psyche, but maybe a Reiki class would be something more in that spiritual realm to awaken that artist within, that creative within. And so that if it's not in the exact field that is your way of showing up as a creative, it still may be something that can help to awaken the creative. And I think spirituality is such a heartbeat for those of us who are creative souls. And the more that is developed within a self, that creativity just keeps on coming through. But it's sort of an indirect path to get there. Yet it is exactly what can feed that part of our beings, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that, um, you know, it's really important for people to remember that creativity or being creative doesn't necessarily have it. It doesn't have to act, actually show up as a visual art or playing an instrument or music. You know, it can be just really a way of, like, going through the world, like understanding that we, we are creative, we are creators, you know, we're making everything happen and we can create these lives that are really beautiful and loving and caring. You don't have to paint that, you know, you don't have to do that, but you can create that and like that's really important. So can you give us an example of something that may have been less obvious to you in a non-creative life that creativity then opened up a new doorway to see something? So... Um, Penny Pierce speaks of living in a linear brain versus a spherical brain. And I always think of that linear brain as being a little bit less aligned with spiritual, whereas the spherical brain is more one with the whole process of being alive. So what would be something in your own reflection that you can see yourself before embracing a creative life, viewing something through a lens that would be more linear versus spherical, and now how that has become more aligned within you. Okay, I'm not sure I understand the question. What, what looking back at my own life, a time when I was looking more linearly, yeah, and when it, you weren't living your creativity. <laughs> when you weren't living creatively and you were living uh-huh. as an elementary school teacher, for example, the way that mm-hmm. you took yourself through your life compared to how you may see now, you just were saying such, such an important point, which is that you don't have to paint or express yourself out loud to be a creative. You can walk through your life yeah. and embrace okay. the creativity within you. So where right. would that difference had where where can you see that difference in yourself now that you're living a creative life okay I think that I'm going to answer this question Um, okay good when I was a teacher um, I certainly didn't think of myself as I mean I thought of myself as a secret artist but I wouldn't have ever considered myself to be an art you know I would never have said I was an artist but looking back on that I realized you know I was like making this beautiful space for my kids I was like open to um, the experience that the kids brought to me and who they were and guiding them to um, be good people, you know, caring, thinking little people, 
um, I was creating lessons that were, you know, visually interesting with charts and drawings and things like that. So I was doing a lot of those things at that time. I mean, I think teaching is really an art, you know, um, but I didn't really think of it that way before. It was just like these are the things that I did, but and I wanted the best for these kids. Um, is that what you're talking about? Yeah, yeah. So then take us through then as you become more creative in your own life choices, having been a creative teacher, how that impacted you personally in your journey as if you were your own teacher of creativity. Where where did your yeah. life change as a result of that? You know, my life changed when it seriously changed, I think, um, like, at a right angle or 180 degree angle when I got that, my Reiki attunement, because it was just kind of like the whole world opened up and I saw that there was this whole other world that I didn't know was here, that it hadn't been hiding from me, but that I wasn't able to see. And that there was all this um, possibility, like things that you thought weren't possible were possible. And so then, you know, that, I took that into my teaching, so it kind of became like that informed my teaching because then it was like there's so much magic in the world and these little kids are like so close to it still that they, you know, they can still touch this stuff. Um, yeah, so then I, I think, you know, the spiritual part of me that developed and came out in the open that had always been there, of course, but like I could express it more came out and then through my art I could see through the, through the mosaics I was making I was like oh these these pictures exist somewhere else you know and I'm just like bringing them through to this world so people can see them and it was the same thing with the shamanic work it was like this is existing at the same time someplace else but I'm bringing this into this dimension here um, I'm seeing now as you know, as I paint more, it's like the same thing. It's like, oh, this is the painting. It's coming from somewhere, and it's coming through me to here, and I'm going to share this and put it back out there. Um, I'm just, re- you know, I've just realized that there's just so much. There's just so much that we can't see um, that's available to us or that we don't know, you know, but we can know if we are open to it. So in a way, what I hear you saying is that as a teacher to young people, you brought that message into your classrooms, but it wasn't until you were living in that artist life full time that you realized you were actually embodying the lessons that you had tried to teach to the children within your own life and then seeing it through the lens of the artist, the spiritual being, the creator of creativity and having that be your journey now instead of just teaching it to younger souls. Yeah, and I don't even know that I was, you know, I wasn't teaching, I don't think I was directly teaching you are a creative being or anything to these kids. I was just teaching, you know, this is who I am and this is how I am with you and these are the things we can do and isn't this cool because, you can learn all this stuff along the way. So I never really felt like I was teaching kids to be creative. I, was, I mean, I knew they were creative, but I wasn't directly trying to teach them that. Um, I was trying to teach them to read and write and do all that other stuff and, and at the same time develop as a human being. When I teach um, my the workshops that I was teaching to adults since I started painting, 
I definitely, you know, try to get that point across that, like, you can just do this. It's really fun. Just do this. Have fun. Um, and I've done workshops with women, like led circles of women to kind of encourage people to realize that they're creators and that they can create whatever kind of life they want. doesn't have to be, like I was saying, doesn't have to be art. can be in whatever way they want to create something. When you teach these circles, are, is the purpose of the curriculum to help others to tap into their own creativity? What would be the goal of one of these circles that you're alluding to? Yeah, I was doing um, circles where we would have, there was actually like a theme, you know, because I was a teacher, right? So I had to have themes, monthly theme. And <laughs> so it would be like, for example, one was um, um, the masks we wear, like I did it for Halloween, right? The masks we wear as you as adults and why we wear them. And so we would like have a, do a journey about like, to find that mask, like what is it and what, what would we trying to tell it and which masks do we need to let go of and things like that. Mm, that's a great one. What, what would you say is the difference between intelligence and creativity? I'm still thinking a little bit about that point about when you just said I wasn't teaching necessarily creativity to children. I was trying to teach them how to read and my my thought is what what is the difference between intelligence and creativity? Is there a difference? Well, I guess it depends on how intelligence is defined. You know, I mean, there's certainly that right brain, left brain. You know, rational, logical, more linear, spherical, um, holistic. Yeah, but I don't think I think they work together. I mean, you know, like when when I'm working, when I'm painting. Um, although I'm approaching things very intuitively, there's a point where I get to make decisions about like, oh, that line, that color doesn't look right or it needs this color, you know, because I know um, um, intellectually, that's not quite the right word, but I know that that like, that that color doesn't go with that color or that just, it's not right. There's something wrong. It needs more contrast. It needs more, you know, something. And that's coming from the other side of my brain, you know, the one that's telling me that I know these things. And then the intuitive part is like working together. So I think it's like, you know, ideally it would, it's good to have them both working together, Mm. connecting. Hmm. Yes. That's, that's a good day, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that the expression of humor is a creative act? Oh, yeah, I think so, because, uh, you know, there's, whole, there's a lot of different levels that you're thinking on when you're doing something that's funny or when you're finding humor in something. I think that a lot of my paintings have a lot of humor in them, and I think that, you know, that, that touches on something in your soul, you know? I mean, we want to be lighthearted, right? Well, it's funny because I'm such a heavy-hearted person, but I appreciate uh-huh. humor. And I did note in a lot of your paintings this sort of interesting, um, humorous moment, but also then that would take me to a deeper place within me. And so there is something yeah. about humor and creativity that I do think go together, but I'm not sure what it is. I've been trying to unpack it in my own mind, and I don't, I don't know. That's why I ask you what you think the link might be. 
Yeah. Well, you know, I think, um, again, I don't like intentionally think that I'm going to make a, something funny in this painting, but something will just come and I'll be like, oh, that's really funny. You know, <laughs> like yeah. I have this little painting that's um, a picture of me. It's, it's called me and my first boyfriend. <laughs> and my boyfriend has this paper bag on his head. And I just thought, that's so funny. Like, I don't know if that's really so funny to other people, but I think it's just hilarious to have this little girl holding hands with this little boy who has a paper bag on his head. And then I thought of, like, this little story, you know, like how much I like this little boy, but I didn't really know what he looks like now because I don't know what he looked like then. I don't know. It just, like, seems really funny and odd to me. But it really does speak to me about, like, being a little kid, being, you know, having a crush on some little boy that you don't even know. I don't know. I just think that's funny. Yeah, that kind of I, stuff comes up. No, I love it. I love how you bring that through your work. You bring that out so well and, and so clearly. I also note it with the ways that you portray animals, cats and dogs. And I know you uh-huh. did a group of, you had a group of paintings that were cat oriented. Is that correct? I had a lot of cats and dogs. I counted up like went through all my paintings once and I counted how many times a cat showed up and how many times a dog showed up to just see like, you know, dogs versus cats, which was it more? And it was almost even. And Uh I don't know. They're funny. I love cats and dogs. They're just funny. People like cats and dogs, you know, they're everywhere. They're us. Do you have pets? Are you someone who has pets in your home? You know, I, we had a dog. um, Well, we've had dogs for like 30 years, but um, our last dog died a couple years ago. And so we don't have any pets right now. And I'm actually kind of enjoying like not having any animals to take care of. Um, And my grandson has a dog allergy. So right now our house is like really clean as any dog dander and stuff. Um, But I, I love dogs and cats. There was a painting you did that was a dog dancing, I believe. It was a dancing uh-huh. dog. What was the scripture yeah. you put into yeah. the piece? It was really good. I forget what you put. What was what? You put some words at the bottom of this particular painting, and it was a dog that was doing like a joy dance. Mm-hmm. And I can't I don't remember what, what I can remember the painting, but I can't remember the words. Yeah. Um, but, the, yeah. The, the, and my titles word, generally say something about the painting, too, you know. Yeah, I noticed that the ways you, um, the, the titles that you choose for your paintings are as curious and interesting to me sometimes. I love mm-hmm. the way you name your paintings. They seem very mm-hmm. um, directed through your uh, interpretation of what you end up with at the final product. Yeah, and they and that's also, the titles are real intuitive. I just, you know, I'll just be like, what's the title of this painting? And then I'll be like, oh, that's the title. Okay, and I'll put it down. Sam, what is it like to be in the business of art? I'm always curious about that with the culture as we know mm-hmm. it now and all the ways that the web works. And, you know, I know there's a lot of concerns that artists feel about their work being used and copied, but not, you know, no one gets the credit for it. How, how do you navigate uh-huh. the business of the art world today? Well, I know that um, that copy thing can be a problem. I had a friend who someone stole one of a piece of one of her paintings and then did something to it and then was selling it, you know, so I know it happens and I don't know, my stuff might be out there somewhere, some other country or someplace, but, um, I'm not too, I personally don't worry too much about it because 
I don't know. My art wants to be out there. It's out there. Also, um, so as art is a business, because I was a teacher, um, I'm not trying to, like, make a living wage as an artist. You know, I don't have to live on my income that I make as an artist, but um, I, it's fun to, like, have this little side business and just to see how that works. So um, I actually like a lot of the business part. Like, I really like having a website. I like working on my website. I like writing, so I like blogging, and I like, you know, describing my art and things like that. I like Instagram because I think it's just a really fun platform. Mm-hmm. Um, so I actually enjoy a lot of the promotional and marketing things that I know a lot of artists don't like to do, but um, I don't spend, you know, a billion hours on it or anything, but I do try to, like, keep my website up to date and, you know, promote myself when I feel like I want to, when shows are coming up and stuff like that. And you you live in Portland, Oregon, and I was curious what you feel or think about Portland as a place to be an artist and does place infuse your artistic creative brain? Um, yeah, I think it's a really great place. I mean, I, like I said, I'm not like trying to make a living, so I'm not sure how I would feel about that um, from that standpoint, but I know that it's very supportive. I feel like it's a very supportive place for um, artists, at least, you know, in the community that I'm in, the art community I'm in, the artists are very supportive of each other. There's lots of opportunities to show in little venues and things. Um, yeah, so I kind of lost my train of thought. What was the end of your question? Just if you are affected by place in your creative oh, process. Yeah, like, does, does this place of Portland, Oregon infuse you as a creative being? Is it a factor? Yeah. I think it infuses me or it um, supports me in that I don't feel a lot of pressure. You know, I feel like the stuff, the community that I, within the community in which I'm in, because it's so supportive, I feel like it's a safe place to put out work and to show what I'm doing and to share, stuff like that. Um, I don't feel like, you know it's going to get stolen or I don't know, stuff like that. Like my ideas aren't going to get stolen. Nobody's going to like copy my stuff. I mean, I was saying like, I'm sure that happens on some level, but like within this community, I don't feel that way. It feels very safe and supportive. And Portland is just kind of, you know, I grew up here, so I know that, I know that Portland vibe, you know, kind of like that, the old Portland vibe. I'm not sure if it's the same Portland vibe now because it's changing so much, but there's just kind of this soft, you know, kind of low-key, laid-back sort of way. And that's kind of how I, I don't know, I think some of the humor in my art and some of that comes from that. So place does exist within your framework. And being here, does, being, yeah, yeah I, think, I think David White speaks of places as important as people. And I think there's great truth in that when you start to think deeply about it. I also know that we just had in Portland, where I'm also based, what's called the Open Studios 
where you mm-hmm. actually open your studio to the public. They come in, they watch. Are they watching you paint or are they just walking around and seeing what your process might look like within your own studio? Um, well, I was part of Portland Open Studios and I'm actually on the Portland Open Studios board and um, we, had a great, we had a great tour this year and it depends on the artist. A lot of artists are doing demonstrations. Like I was painting and I had my process out so people could see it and I was talking about it, but I was also painting. So it just kind of depends on the individual artist. Some people, you know, actually were working and some people were having people have a hand at what they're, try a hand at what they do or um, just have their process dim, dim, um, displayed somehow. Yeah, it just depends. And it's two weekends, is that correct? It's two full weekends? Two weekends, for- Yeah. It's been going on for 19 years. Wow. And um, it's a really amazing, amazing event. It's over 100 artists throughout the area. And we just open our studios and people come through. And it's just really great. It's like, it's really amazing. I I love it. I, I love having people come into my studio and just like talk about what I do and how these things come into being, you know. And then you get feedback, and generally the feedback is like that these paintings make me feel good. Hmm. Well, I think the life of a painter can be somewhat introverted and without other. So I would imagine open studios is a great opportunity for the extrovert to show up, even if she or he isn't wanting to. It does take you a little bit outside of that internal dialogue and life. Right. Yeah. Yeah, because I, I could go in my studio and just stay there every day forever yeah. and never come out, never talk to anyone. But um, I hear you to share. <laughs> yeah, it's totally it's totally a, an interesting thing. I always find with artists, whether they're dancers or writers or painters, to um, discuss the introvert versus the extrovert and uh-huh. how we, we all maneuver and manage those two differences. Sam, where do you go to get inspired? Like if you're feeling like, oh, I just need to get to a museum or a place or take a trip, what calls you often? Where do you go? Um, I often go to books, picture books and books of other artists, you know, just to look at art. Um, I go outside. I like to go like into the woods or um, just somewhere where you can really breathe, you know, real air. Um, I like to go for walks and just see colors and shapes and, you know, lines and things like that. Um, I like to just sit and go inward, you know, and see what I see, what comes to me, the listening thing, you know, being still and listening. That's inspiring. Um, and I, I often don't feel like uninspired. I mean, I'm a pretty inspired person, like... I kind of like, I kind of see things everywhere, you know. I see colors, I see lines, I see stories and interesting things kind of all the time. I have grandkids, they're pretty inspiring just in terms of like energy, you know, like life, vital, vitality. I have a dear friend who's an amazing photographer named Lori Jo Daniels, and she recently said to me, everywhere I look, I see art. Uh-huh. And I just, I loved that idea. And, and I often think that that is true if we are awake and aware that everything is art and it yeah. becomes this wonderful visual experience. Yeah, it is. And because, you know, 
when I paint, I'm looking for imagery in the layers and colors and lines and marks. I see those pictures like everywhere. Like you look in the branches and trees and I can see the, the, the faces. I can say, oh, like there's somebody like playing baseball. You know, I can just, I just see all these pictures everywhere. So I can't escape it. Mm, that's a good thing. Yeah. I wanted to um, just sort of conclude by asking how you guide someone who's feeling gripped by fear um, and or yourself in the process of creating. And if you're guiding people in art classes and teaching them and even going back as an elementary school teacher, noting that a child is in fear, how do you work with fear? You know, I think that... Again, it's not so much that I have a direct, like, approach to working with fear. You know, like, if a student is doing this, is showing this, then I will act this way. I don't really think it's so much like that. Um, I think with painting and with kids and the kids I work with, but in the workshops I do now, I I really think that a lot of what I do is just kind of who I am. It's just sort of... I think I'm I'm a pretty safe person to be around, you know. I, I don't think people... I think people feel that way about me, that I, I'm a safe person. And so um, I set up the classroom, the, my studio um, workshops to have fun. It's like a place where you're just supposed to come and kind of play. And as adults, you know, we don't always play or we kind of forget how to play. And so I just set it up and it's like, you know, really, it's just paint and a board and we're just going to make marks on this and you know, I know how frustrating it can get and we're just not going to like, we're just going to like work through that because it's just fun. It's not that important. Seriously, honestly, it's paint on a board and, you know, you're just going to put marks on that board. I think that we take ourselves too seriously sometimes. Like art can be like so serious and it has a serious side. My art certainly has a serious side, but it really is about like having fun, like just going in there and like, pushing paint around and seeing what happens, just being open to it, really kind of getting into that, being a kid, you know? So most of the people that have come to my workshops generally are able to, like, just kind of hang out, you know? There's been some people, a few people that have been really kind of stressed about it because they think that it has to be a certain way and I just kind of I just try to let them know that you know we don't know what's going to be there and like whatever comes up is okay and it has some reason for coming up and you might understand it you might not understand it but it's like we're just here making these paintings painting playing and I think with kids it was the same way as like you know it's like who I am I'm like this person who can be there with you and it's okay. Well, and I think when I think of fear in the context of art or creating, it's more of that breaking away from that comparative brain and letting mm-hmm. it just re- reveal itself and inspire, which is a full circle from where we started and, and having someone who can encourage that in you. Um, I know my father being the great painter that he is would always say, baby, there are no mistakes. There are no mistakes. Everything is just uh-huh. right as it is. Don't worry. It's not wrong. Let it be. And that would help me right. free up that inner critic that might not even be comparing herself, but 
has a tendency to judge what I'm doing as good or bad, and that helped me to free that up. So I'm assuming as an art teacher, you must feel that in people quite a bit, that just fear of, I'm no good, I don't do this, I don't know how to do this, how how will I know if this is the way a hand should look? And then giving right. them the trust, the trust in themselves not to judge from that place. Yeah, and, you know, letting people know, like I do say that, it's like you can't make a mistake doing this. Like there, you just can't. Like how are you going to draw a hand wrong if you're just drawing kind of what's there, you know? And I point out in my art, like if people are having trouble because we're working in my studio and I'm like, look, look how like big that looks. And I don't know what, a, you know, what does a giraffe with six legs look like? I don't know, but it looks like that because that's what I see on the board. So you really can't, you can't make a mistake in, in this, when you're painting with me, because hmm. you just can't. <laughs> There's just no way you can make a mistake. But I know that's when people do get hung up. It's like when they think that they're going to do the process wrong, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And that yeah. was, I mean, that's, yeah, going back to what I was saying at the beginning, you know, that's why I didn't paint, because I thought I had to do it a certain way, and I didn't know what that was. So Yeah. So, Sam, final question. If someone's out there mm-hmm. listening who's really eager to try to live a creative life, wants to be a creative instead of, say, someone working a corporate job or and the money might be a factor because that's how they're going to pay their rent, what would be one tip that would be useful for developing internally a, a, a more fluid creative life? If, if someone wanted to be more creative in their own life, what's a step they could take away that would develop that and help like them with that? Like a visual artist, you mean, or a performing artist? or something? Yeah, just I want to be oh, okay. creative and my life is not creative. Yeah. How do I develop more creativity within myself? I think if somebody has, like, an inkling of what they'd like to do, you know, like they would like to draw or paint or something like that, I think that, um, I think it's really important to dedicate some time to it. Like, and even if you're working, like, if you can dedicate 20 minutes in the evening, three days a week, you know what I mean? Like, start out Mm -hmm. simple, but, like, you really have to, like, you really have to be dedicated. Like, you can't just... I don't think you can't just decide you're going to be more creative and make art and then not do it. Like you got to do something. And even if it's just um, like dedicating a space, right? Like here's this table here that I'm going to work on or this desk. And just, even if you're just going to your desk every day and straightening your pencils, you know what I mean? Like just developing a relationship with the space I guess that's what we were talking about earlier, that space is really important, right? Like, my studio is this beautiful, wonderful, sacred little space, and I go there every day, even if I don't do something. You know, I might just go and, like, clean up tissues that are, you know, paper towels and stuff. But, like, to establish a relationship with that space so that you, you can you can start thinking of it as, like, a, a place that is feeding you somehow, you know, has something to offer. Mm. And great one. the other thing that, like, what I've, I've, I've learned just from people that I know and stuff is that people think that they have to, like, be full-time artist or something like that, you know? And, I mean, you don't. You, like, you know, the job that you do that makes you the money that pays your rent and buys your food, that's really important. So um, if you need to do that, don't, you can't beat yourself up because you, you can't do that. You just have to, like, fine, like, 15 minutes to like do something, doodle something, you know, just to let your soul speak a little bit. 
Yeah. Oh, I love that. Let your soul speak a little bit. I want to let all the listeners know how to find you, and I'll spell it. Um, it's The website is samyakamuchiart.com, and the spelling of that is S-A-M-Y-A-K-Y-A-M-A-U-C-H-I-A-R-T.com. So I want to thank you. Excellent discussion today about creativity and a reminder to all the listeners. The tagline of the show is that you complete you. And Sam, thank you for helping others realize how to do that on their own journey. Thank you for having me. And can I just say one thing that when they see my website, because it sounds very long in lots of letters, if they say Sam Yak Yamauchi, it's easier to see where all those letters make. Okay. Awesome. Okay. All right. Thank you, Sam. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Have a good day. You too. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Feel Good Naked Radio with Laura Redmond. Please join us live again next Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until our next show, be you and feel great in your own skin. 